0: And now, your host, multi millionaire, national award winning investor, CEO, and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Dell Wamsley.
1: Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Dell Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, I'm going to tell a little story. And the story is designed to illustrate for you two different management styles. One management style is the poor man's broke management style and the just fix what you can afford to fix kind of approach. And the other style is the completely renovate everything and really turn it into a construction job more than just an apartment operations business. So I start back with, uh, in the last couple of days, I've done, I've told a lot of stories of my past. And I left you with the fact that I bought a 64-unit apartment complex, which to me was the beginning of my real estate career. I mean, I say that. Now let me rephrase that. It's really the beginning of my multifamily real estate career. I'd already done 10 units, I'd done a 20 unit, I'd done a 30 unit, I'd done a 40 unit. Stepping up to a 64 unit didn't seem like shouldn't didn't seem like it should have been anything different, but it was completely different. Changed my whole trajectory because now all of a sudden out of nowhere, I was able to have a full time manager and a full time maintenance man on site. Um, that's everything. I mean, that means it changes everything because now, even though you got 64 units compared to 30, 40, 50, 60 or even just five, I didn't have to do anything anymore. There was now somebody there to do all the leasing, to do all the collections, to do all the evictions, to manage the problems, to organize the repairs, organize the rehab. And there was a maintenance guy to do most of it and or watch when we brought contractors and vendors in that they did the right job on what they were doing, et cetera, et cetera, along with the manager. So it was a complete change. I mean, there's something about it. Now you say, well, what size property can you afford to have a manager and a maintenance man on? Well, I found in my history here that 50 units and up, you can afford to have a manager, but it's very tight. That's the absolute minimum less than 50 units. The only way I've ever been able to do it is to have a part-time manager type of a deal and a part-time manager is good but it's not the same thing as a full-time manager having somebody there every day where the tenants know there's eyes and ears on the place all day long and in my case i had my maintenance guy live there so there was really eyes and ears on the place 24 7. um it was a completely different type of a deal i mean the control was unbelievable so i bought this property by finding a rich guy and it's a good story Uh, A rich guy who had gone on to become like a mega, mega millionaire. He owned hotels and resorts. And uh, this one-off apartment complex had nothing to do with his business. And what I had found out was when his dad had died, who was a a mega millionaire himself in real estate, handed the business down to the, the elderly son, the younger son was like an idiot. And so the father made the brother promise to take care of the idiot brother. And so what he did was he bought him a 64-unit apartment complex, cost about a million bucks. He paid cash for it. The guy had no mortgage to make. And the guy made, you know, every single month about ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 a month, positive cash flow, doing nothing. He had a manager. He had a maintenance man. He did nothing. But what he didn't also do was what his brother had taught him or told him to do, what his father had taught him to do, was to renovate the place, raise the rents, and make it worth $2 million. And after 10 years of this guy not doing that and giving his brother back his million dollars, the brother got irritated. And so the brother decided he was going to sell the property out from underneath him. He said, look, I'm just going to sell the property and get my money back. You won't fix it. You won't make it worth more. In fact, the property was in such bad repair by the time I got it, you couldn't get a mortgage on it. So when I interviewed with the guy to buy it from him, it was on the, the market. I said to him, I said, I can't get a mortgage on this thing because it's in terrible repair. The bank won't lend. Well, not only that, I had not gotten mortgage. Everything I'd done up until that point was owner finance deals. I had very, very good credit. And I had a lot of credibility with a lot of people that had sold me their real estate, both single family and duplexes and fourplexes and small apartments, owner financed. And so anytime I went to the next owner finance guy, I go, look, I'm the perfect owner finance guy because that's what I specialize in. And I'd send him to all my old. Or to all the people who had sold before and was getting payments from me on owner finance mortgages. And it was very easy for me to talk this guy into being the guy because nobody else could buy it. You know, now I found out later you could have bought it. You would have had to get a bridge loan. Would have had to have a construction loan piece to it to where you could go in there, renovate the place turn it around, get rid of the bridge loan and put it in permanent financing, but permanent financing wouldn't work. And the guy knew that. So he was kind of happy that I was going to go in there. He looked at my history. I mean, he really checked me out. He said, okay, I see you can do it. This, you're the right guy for this project. And I mean, it's kind of funny because every one of these guys I ever dealt with when I was coming up, looked at me like this is a young kid, got a lot of ambition, uh, smart kid. Uh, but it's a kid, and I'm going to let him go ahead and take my problem off my hands. Uh, they didn't want to deal with it, so I was willing to, and owner financed it to them, so I got them out of tight spots. So I bought this property, and I think I paid 850000 for it. I put $150,000 down, but by the time I got the first month's rents and the prorated taxes, and by the way, I got the real estate commissions because I owned a real estate company at the time, I got the real estate commissions also. The whole thing gave me about 50 grand at closing. So I only had to come to the table with about $100,000. So I bought this place. And lo and behold, as I was moving along with this thing and and getting it all done to where I kept improving, 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 but not really overly improving, um, the property across the street came up for sale. And it's the property across the street, which is the real story today. Everything was brand new. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. He took this property that he bought for like 750000 something like that, stripped it all the way down to the studs, put back all new walls, all new cabinets and countertops in, in all the units, all new carpet and pad, all new ceiling fans, all new air conditioners inside and out, New thermostats. It's just unbelievable. He remodeled the office and made it nice. Um, resurfaced the parking lot. Redid the, the fences and the gates. I mean, he did everything. Spent a million bucks on a 68-unit apartment complex. Which only paid like 775000 for. Just insanity. So... Here we are, this guy's got a million bucks of his own money in rehab sitting in it, and he's got seven hundred seventy-five or 725000 on a loan that he took out to buy it. And I'm sitting across the street with a property that's six, seven years older and in terrible condition, not renovated, put it that way. Uh, just maintained as best I could possibly maintain it with my cash flow. I mean, I had cash flow, and I already owned a bunch of other properties, so don't get me wrong, I wasn't broke. And I wasn't slumlording it. I just wasn't upgrading it like he was. I was getting $475 a month for rent. He was getting $335 for rent. And um, those are two bedrooms, believe it or not. <laughs> the one bedrooms, I think. you'll right, see, the one bedrooms... His were all one-bedrooms. That's one of the things. So he was getting like 335 a unit for one-bedrooms. I was getting like 400 for one-bedrooms, and I was getting like 475 for my two-bedrooms or something like that. Um, bottom line was I was making a lot more money with my property than he was with his. He wasn't making any money, barely making any money. He had overpaid staff. So... I'm looking at this situation and the guy's finally, you know, I'm go over and talk to the guy. And the guy's name was Mansoor, I believe. I said, Mansoor, look, what are you doing, man? If you'd open your doors, get a real manager that knows how to sell and take care of your customers, you'd be full. I mean, you you got a great product. You're, everything's brand new. It's beautiful. Okay, okay, fine. Uh, well, good luck and whatever. And I go back to my place and just keep raising the rents on the guy, you know? And... I don't know what period of time it was, six months, a year later, the guy contacted me and said, look, I'm putting my property up for sale. And I said, okay, you know, what are you trying to sell it for? He said, I want $2 million for it. I go, $2 million? That's, let me see your financials. And i I knew he wasn't worth that. Now, you have to understand, an apartment complex is not worth what you build it for, it's not what you put into it. An apartment complex is based on what the NOI, Net Operating Income, produces. And this guy had no net operating income. I mean, very little on this deal. And the second thing he had done, which was very, very harmful, is he put a non-recourse mortgage on it. No, it was a recourse mortgage. No, it was non-recourse mortgage that could not be paid off. It had um, a defeasance clause. On a seven-year loan, I think it was, something like that. And so he put it up for sale for $2 million and got no bites, sent it to me. And i like, there's no way. This property's not worth anything near this. And uh, so he went on again for a few more months, six months to another year. And he just kept losing money. And finally, you know, I don't know how much professors make at the University of Houston, but not enough to keep losing money on a regular basis, I'm sure. And so finally he... Um, comes back over and talks to me again puts it up for sale or has put it back again or whatever and he says I'm lowering the price I go what are you lowering the price to he goes I'll I'll sell it for a million seven hundred thousand and I'm like well that's still too high man but we're getting closer so let me look at your books again look at your numbers and everything and see what I think and what I could possibly do and so I looked at it and we talked around and finally I said look Mansoor, the numbers don't work. You have to understand, and he was a smart guy. He understood that he was, he had made a mistake of thinking that he could sell something for what he built it for, and now he's realizing because he's been speaking to brokers and mortgage guys that he couldn't sell it for more than what the NOI said it was worth, and now he understood that. When we come back, I'll tell you what actually happened. We'll be right back with the Doug Walmsley Radio Show.
0: to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Del Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments.
1: I was at a seminar one time and a guy was sitting up there and he was saying, what you really need is you need the young, aggressive entrepreneur people to go out there and take that money and invest it with them. I walked up to the front of the stage and I said, hey, I'm that guy you're talking about that should be mentoring these people on how to do this. The guy goes, sir, we don't allow solicitation. And I said, no, 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 no. you don't understand. I'm here to tell you I'm exactly the guy you were telling them to look for. And I'm willing to help them for nothing. And the guy goes, if you don't stop soliciting, I'm gonna have to have security come and get you. And I said, I can see you're a scam. I'll just leave. Everything I said had gone through the intercom. So I walked out of the seminar room and 200 people followed me. And that's how lifestyles are started. Are you ready to get up and follow Dell? Join us today at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com.
0: You're hearing the Dell Wamsley radio show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley.
1: Welcome back to Dell Wamsley radio show. So um, here I am looking at this deal across the street from me and my lips are just watering. I mean, I'm licking my lips as they say. Brand new, totally rebuilt property. I paid a million for mine. This thing was, you know, trying to sell for a million seven or something like that. And we talked about it and I wanted it so bad that I just ch- changed my position. I said, OK, look, I'll overpay for it. The way I was going to come up with the cash. And by the way, I have to tell you this just for the full disclosure. I had the ability to go get the cash. I owned, you know, 100 houses. I owned many smaller apartment complexes. I could have gone to the bank and borrowed the money, right? I just didn't want to. I wanted to do it a different way. I wanted to prove that somebody could buy real estate with nothing out of their own pocket. It was just something at the time when I was doing my seminars that I thought, I gotta do something, you know, that puts puts me out there, that really, you know, makes me stand out. So I'm gonna do something so unbelievable. So, what I did was I looked up all my credit cards. at the time I had 50 credit cards, and I had this was something I'd done when I started buying houses. I started accumulating credit cards, and back then they would let you have all the credit cards you wanted. I had sometimes like three different discovers, three or four different American expresses, you know, ten visas, ten mastercards, but I had all these cards, and each one of them had anywhere from five thousand to fifty thousand dollars lines of credits on each one. And back then, they were trying so hard to get you to borrow money, because remember, it's 9% interest, but credit cards were like 25%, 30% interest, whatever. But what they'd do is they'd give you these introductory rates, six months with no interest, to get you to go borrow as much money against the card as you could. And then all of a sudden, the no interest rate would go off, and boom, you'd be stuck. They'd also do something called cash advances. You need some money? We'll give you $10,000. We'll give you $20,000. We'll give you $30,000, whatever. So I would put them all in a spreadsheet and figured out I could come up with around $400,000 on my credit cards. I think it was a half a million on my credit cards. Um, So I figured out a plan where I could borrow all this money on my credit cards and only have to pay interest on a few of them. And those interest rates, were introductory rates, were zero, one, two, three, or four. Uh, Very low interest rates. And much lower than you could get at the bank, which was nine for a mortgage and for a Uh, like a cash loan type uh, bridge loan like this probably would have been 12% interest, but I was getting it for one, two, three, or four. So I figured that all out and figured where I'd get all that money. And some of the cards I had, you couldn't do a cash advance. You couldn't do a cash out. So what I did was I opened up another company. I had another company already open, and I would take and look like I was buying something from the company, and I would go over there and buy, you know, $20,000 worth of stuff from this company, and it was my company, so I had the cash, and then I had the credit. I had all this on a spreadsheet where I could track it all, and then I did something very interesting. I went across the street to Wells Fargo, and I talked to the president of the bank, and by the time, at that time, it wasn't Wells Fargo. I think it was like First Bank or something. Uh, It hadn't changed to Wells Fargo yet, but I went across, and I talked to the, the the president and the vice president of the bank, because they were like boyfriend and girlfriend, I believe, or something like that, or they were just dating. I showed him what I was going to do. I said, I'm going to buy this apartment complex with these credit cards. He goes, oh, I remember how I got to him. I'd gone up to the, to the teller and said, I want to pull out $327,000 in these credit cards. And the girl looked at me and about passed out, just about fainted. So she went and got the vice president, which was, you know, there to run the bank and The vice president was a lady, and she said, uh, you know, Dell, and she knew me real well. been doing business with her for a while. She goes, that's crazy. What are you going to do? I said, look, I'll explain it all to you. Do me a favor. Bring the president of the bank in so you guys all know what I'm doing. I don't want this to look like I'm doing something shady, but I'm going to explain it to you because you know I'm a real estate guru, and I'm going to buy real estate nothing down by using these credit cards, and it's totally legal. And so I brought them in, I took them out to lunch, and I explained it all to them. They said, well, what happens when all these introductory rates go off? And I pulled the next page of the credit cards on the spreadsheet, and I said, these credit cards are the alternatives. So when one of these credit cards comes up to its six-month or one-year limit before the interest rates flip, I will immediately do a cash advance from that card to this card. And those cards back then were giving the opportunity. Let me clear your other credit cards with high interest, and I'll give you six months to a year with no interest. It was insane back then. It was, they were just giving money away. It's kind of like uh, the whole country was run by Democrats back then. And so I, uh, I showed them that, and I showed them I had a, a, a plan to solve it all, right? And they said, I can't even imagine this would even work. And he go, well, why don't you just borrow the money from me? And I said, well, what would you lend me the money for? And he said, well, I could lend it to you for, like, prime. I said, well, it's prime. He goes, 9%. And I go, no, man, you don't understand. The only reason this thing works Cause I'm going to be a hundred percent finances because half of this debt I pay nothing on. And the other half of the debt, I'm in paying one, two, three or four. So like an average around 2% interest I'm paying on this other debt. It just wouldn't work if I paid 9%. And the guy was amazed. I think a little flustered, uh, and a little intrigued. <laughs> he said, okay, you know, I understand what you're doing. You've got a net worth and you've got the money in the bank to be able to pull it off. Uh, We'll go ahead and share credit cards. You know, I know if you don't pull it out through us, you'll pull it out through somebody else because we're not holding the debt. The credit cards are holding the debt. So they lent me the money. So I went back to the guy and I said, look, here's the deal. I was going to give you $1,500,000, but your loan is $725,000. And I think that's what it was. The only thing I could give you, and I have to actually do some math real quick, some reverse math to figure this out, because this is, this is thirty years ago type of a deal. So let's see, we had three hundred twenty-seven thousand dollars that I gave him, and minus. Uh, let's see here, what was seven hundred twenty-five thousand dollars of? That didn't work. So he had seven hundred twenty-five thousand dollars with a debt, plus I gave him three hundred twenty-seven thousand. So I said, look, the most I can give you for this deal is $1,050,000. He goes, "A million fifty? That's 450000 less than what we agreed to. I said, I understand. But the bottom line is, is that I can't get a loan anywhere. We can't pay this loan off. I can get the money to you this week and get you out of this deal. Now, the guy is losing a half a million dollars. Remember, he put a million in it. Now I'm giving a million fifty. No he He's actually losing more than that because it was 725000 bucks. So um, and I don't know exactly how much you put in it, so don't hold me to that, but I know there's a lot because was total renovation. Uh, but I ended up giving him, he ended up accepting the $327,000 cash to the note. And I assumed the note. I bought that apartment complex, 68 units for nothing down, and it was totally brand new. I immediately went and raised the rent. So within six months, uh, we had all those rent increases in place. Um, I terminated the manager, which was his mother. No big deal that she expected to go, but I didn't replace her. So let's think about this for a second. I added 50,000, $46,000 to the income by raising the rents Add another 50,000 by firing the manager. And I say, well, Dell, you have to have a manager. I do I had one right across the street and I found out a very important piece of information. That in the apartment business, it's called the rule of 100s. It only takes one manager to manage 100 units. Once you go over 100 units, you're stretching your manager and making them work a little hard. When you get up over 150 units, you better have a part-time manager to fill in weekends and maybe one day a week because it's a lot of work now, maybe overlap a couple days. Uh, When you get to 200, you better have two internal people. One manager and one leasing agent would typically be what we'd put together, Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Now, on the maintenance side, it's the same thing. For every 100 units, you only need one maintenance guy. But in this case, I had a 64 on one side and a 68 on the other, and my maintenance guy on the 64 was incredibly good, and the maintenance guy on the 68 was incredibly good. And I thought, okay, look, if I have one manager, and I have one maintenance guy for each property. Each guy can specialize in what his property's problems are. But if they ever need two guys, a lot of projects just need two guys. I mean, I find myself calling my my CFO sometimes. Hey, Chris, come on over and help me do this project at my house. Because there's some things you just can't do with one guy. you got to have two. And it's always good to have that second maintenance guy or even just a helper to be able to help with lifting things and doing things. So now we had two maintenance guys. In addition to that, what it helped was is that with two maintenance guys now, one guy could take off every other week. So normally maintenance guys are on call on the weekend. So if an emergency occurs, one you know they can come take care of their property. By having two guys, they now could be on call every other week, which really changed their position on the job. They liked it much better. It was much more enjoyable for them, appealing to them as a job. And uh, it just gave me double coverage of everything. And each one of them was good, really good. So now I have one manager that was able to organize maintenance projects where it took two guys. Eventually, we picked up a porter. And the porter was really a helper. They could work on either property. But they started each day by picking up all the trash out of each property. So they'd pick up all the trash out of one, then go over to the other and pick up all the trash. They would do all the dirty jobs so the maintenance guys could stay on fixing things instead of spending their time picking up trash, cleaning things, so on and so forth. The porter guy was indispensable, and they were pretty much minimum wage. We'd start them at minimum wage which was nothing back then. But then what would happen is the two maintenance guys would teach the porter how to do things. And the reason the porter would stay is because with two really good maintenance guys, he was able to get a lot of training, on-the-job training. And eventually we would help allow the guy and help the guy to go get an AC license. And once he had that, we couldn't keep him anymore because now he's just he's too valuable. But that was their their benefit. It was part of their benefits. You know, they would get this opportunity to get trained on the job training to be a full-fledged maintenance guy and get paid twice, three times what they're getting paid, maybe more. And so, I mean, this thing was just humming along. 132 units was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Now, I figured out something else. One of the properties was old and in poor condition. The other property was brand new. I'm thinking, why am I getting the same rents for both properties? That doesn't make any sense. In fact, why don't I run this one across the street like a Class B property, and the one I have, the original one, let's run it as a Class C. See if we can get an extra $100 a month out of each unit. And so, I, well, you know, in my brain I'm thinking I have to give a better product to be able to get that extra 100 bucks, because we're in the same submarkets, markets same clientele, whatever. I didn't at the time understand that there is a diversity of clientele. Some people are price sensitive, some people are value sensitive, but I thought that was probably the case. So what I did was I went in and where there was linoleum in the expensive property, I was pulling up the linoleum, putting down ceramic tile and in the kitchens, uh, in the dining rooms, I'm sorry, in the dining rooms and in the living rooms, I was putting in crown molding uh, and four inch baseboards, which made, you know, at the time it was in style to have Bright white crown molding, bright white ceilings, and then a mauve or tan type wall. That stayed in style for years. It might still be partially in style in many, many places. I know that's what we were putting up, and people were loving it because it was brand new at the time, and it looked like if you go to a model home somewhere, it looked exactly like you were looking at a model home. And people were loving it. So I did it partially, and this is where you have to understand about life. Life's pretty crazy. Uh, I did partially because I wanted to be out there doing the work with these guys and buying tools and having fun and remodeling stuff. The engineer came out, right? But I found out very quickly the manager, we couldn't keep up with the manager's ability to lease the units. So she started leasing them without us upgrading them and getting the extra $100 without even doing the upgrade. And then I realized it. I'm a fool. But we should have done the rent increase anyway. So there you go, my friends. I turned the property into a $2 million property. Made a million bucks with absolutely nothing down. Kept it for 15 years and made tons of cash flow. And the two of those two properties are the basis to my massive wealth. From that point on, it just kept going. So remember, friends, it's not the money. It is the lifestyle. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.